The gospel for this first Sunday in Lent comes from Matthew chapter 4. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took Jesus to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor and said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him and suddenly angels came and waited on him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Dear friends in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Creator and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to start with a little quiz today. It is a one-question quiz, so it's not going to take very long. And it's pretty random, so don't be, be pressured to answer correctly. It's just kind of a a fun way to maybe learn something new. So here's the question. This particular form of pollution has increased globally about 10% per year for the last 12 years. What kind of pollution is it? You You can say it out loud. What was that? garbage. That's a really good guess. It's a kind of garbage, but not like stuff garbage. It's a little different. Plastic? No, but that's a good, I'm I'm guessing that's maybe more than 10% per year, huh? Light. Did somebody say light? Light pollution. That's the answer. Now, I don't know about you, but pollution is not the first word I think of when I think about light. I usually think of light as a good thing, a helpful thing, something that we all need in order to be able to sort of function properly or find your way in the dark. Things like flashlights and headlights, or maybe a way of brightening up these gray winter days, like the warmth of a fire or a flickering candle. Unless someone is shining something straight into my eyes or that ray of sunshine hits my windows and shows me just how dirty they really are, I normally like light. I think it's a good thing. And it is most of the time, but not all the time. So in these last 12 years, the amount of light that we humans create on the earth, the amount of light that shines up into the sky, so sure, flashlights and headlights and house lights and freeway lights, but also the ways we illuminate buildings and streets and stadiums and monuments and all kinds of things, The amount of light we shine up into the sky has increased exponentially. It's bad for stargazing, 
If you've ever tried to look at the stars when you're in the middle of a bright city, you can't see anything. But it has negative effects in other ways too, on plants and animals, and even on those of us humans who are making all that light. A team of scientists in Germany has been working on exactly how much light is polluting our skies and what the impacts are. And they found that if we keep going at the rate we're going, someone who was born today, let's say, would maybe be able to see 250 stars in the sky. By the time they're 18, they might be able to see 100, maybe even less. Plus, all that extra light does other stuff. It disrupts the migration of birds and the blossoming of flowers. My favorite thing that I learned that is that it disrupts the courtship of fireflies. I'd never really thought that much about that. And it can trigger insomnia and other health problems for human beings, too. Of course, part of the problem of addressing all this stuff is that light does a lot of good. We need good street lights to drive at night. You maybe want to keep your house lights on so that you can keep your house safe and just see where you're going when you come home late. If light isn't all good, it isn't all bad either. It appears to be a case of too much of a good thing. Human beings have long had a deep-rooted problem with restraint, with saying no, with stopping, with seeing a good thing and being able to walk away from it before the good thing is just too much. We know that we should also walk away from bad things and we struggle with that, but it might be even harder to restrain ourselves from things that are good until they're not, until they're just too much, too powerful, too addictive, too controlling, too polluting, just too much. Which maybe is why the Bible's earliest stories confront this problem head on. We heard it earlier from the book of Genesis, a story of the first humans who are given a garden full of everything they could possibly need and the company of one another and one simple request for restraint. Just don't eat from the tree in the middle of the garden. Well, anyone who's ever been left alone with a plate of cookies and instructed to eat just one or who has a bowl of Halloween candy and some kind of vague commitment not to eat too many, knows that this tree story is not going to end well. Our ancestors chose to blame the original impetus on a snake, but you don't really need the snake in the story to know how this is going to turn out. When faced with the opportunity to have just a little bit more of a good thing, we human beings will go for it almost every time. Now, this old story has been used and abused for generations. It's been used to cement power differences between genders, to explain why so many of us hate snakes, to shame us about our bodies and our hungers and our seemingly insatiable curiosity. But at the heart of this story is a confession about a deeply human struggle to take only what we need and no more. To see something that may be good, 
but not have to possess it. To appreciate someone else's gifts or abilities or resources, but not wish we had them too. It's so hard for us that it's almost like it's been like this since the very beginning, since before the world was made. Now this problem shows up in other places in the Bible too. Like when the people of Israel are finally freed from their slavery of generations in Egypt and they begin to walk through the wilderness toward the land that God had promised them. And God said, I will provide for you the food you need every day. When you wake up in the morning, there'll be enough. But God said, just take enough for the day. Don't try to hoard it and save it for later. But many of them, of course, did try to save just a little bit, just in case, only to find that it had gone moldy and spoiled by the time the sun came up. To be fair, they had been enslaved for so long, they probably didn't even know how to identify what they needed. No one had ever asked them that before. But it took them a really long time to learn. When they finally reached the land that God had promised them and they settled there and they began to live and build their lives and their community there, they slowly forgot the practices that they had learned in the wilderness. They forgot the commandments to make sure that their workers and their animals and even their land had some time off. Like most societies, they developed inequities around money and power. And so God sent prophets to warn them you're doing too much. You need to stop. If you don't figure out how to cease from all of this, how to stop, your future isn't good. But they didn't. They didn't stop. And things did, in fact, fall apart. And then there's Jesus, whom we meet in the wilderness today, who's still facing a lot of the same questions questions his ancestors asked, and questions that we still live with every day. How much is enough? How do I take just what I need and no more? What do I do when I have too much of a good thing? How do I cease from thinking and acting as if all these good things belong to me and no one else? Well, for many generations, there's been a widespread Christian tradition to give up something for Lent. You may do this. You may have done it before. You may do it this year. You may not. It's not required. There are many ways to embrace a Lenten fast. You can stop consuming something like food or drink or social media. You can cease from distractions like electronics or shopping. Or you can embrace a discipline like daily prayer or tithing or times of silence and reflection. That Lenten practice is designed to take head on the same struggle that we see woven into our scriptures today. That constant struggle to figure out how much is enough and when to stop. When the light is the right amount to keep us safe and able to see, and when it turns into damaging pollution. 
when the desire to do well at our jobs is a good thing. And when it veers into perfectionism and the inability to tell the difference between our identity and our work. When the passion in us to build a more just and peaceful world is a good thing. And when it turns into a bitterness at people who haven't figured out the right answers like we have. when the amount in our checking accounts is enough so it doesn't keep us up with worry, but it also doesn't taunt us saying we'll never have enough. Now, a big part of the problem, of course, is that we're all living these questions in real time every day. The answers change all the time every day. How much is enough? How much money, time, work, love, exercise, justice, rest, play, how much is enough? And what do we do when we realize that it's gotten all wildly out of control? So I think there's two things from our gospel story today that can help. The first thing is that when Jesus faced these questions, he was also doing this in real time. He didn't face this dilemma, these temptations, when he was well-rested and well-fed and fully prepared to think about how to organize his life. He was hungry and tired and out in the middle of nowhere, and he had not done anything except be baptized. So he had no experience, no reservoir, and not a single person to help him out. Which means if we wait or think we should wait to figure out these dilemmas when we're ready. I'll take this on, we say, someday when I'm well-rested and well-fed and well-organized and I know what I'm doing, then we'll never get there. Every single year, no matter when it arrives, I am never prepared for Lent. Every year I say, wait, wasn't it just Christmas? But thankfully, Lent does not wait for me to be ready. It arrives anyway, which is good. Because if it waited until we were ready, we'd never get there. And the second thing, what Jesus does have out there in the wilderness is a story and a community so deeply rooted in his heart and his mind that when he's tempted to keep all these good things for himself, power and resources, abilities, he's not actually alone. The practices of his community, of reading scripture and keeping Sabbath, the identity proclaimed to him at his baptism, that he's beloved and he didn't have to earn that at all. Those are the things that he needs to figure out what's enough to take what he needs and say no to the rest of it, to be fully and completely human. During this Lenten season, we'll be inviting you to ask some of these questions. What really matters? How do we figure out what we need and no more? How do we begin to share what we figured out now as a little extra? 
How do we walk this wilderness road together? Working and struggling together, imperfectly to be sure, with how much is actually enough? When is the light showing us a path? And when is it preventing us from seeing the darkness we need for the stars to shine? So I guess I lied at the beginning. My quiz had a lot more questions than I thought. But thankfully, out here in the wilderness, we have each other to work on it with. Thanks be to God. Amen.